Welcome to the documentary from the BBC World Service, where we report the world, however difficult the issue, however hard to reach. Podcasts from the BBC World Service are supported by advertising. In a world where change is constant, it pays to look beyond your borders. The Financial Times offers a global perspective to give you a deeper understanding of international markets and emerging trends. Broaden your horizons and widen your influence. Fearlessly pink. The Financial Times. Read more at ft.com slash fearless. I'm Gabriel Gatehouse from the Global Story podcast. It's two months since Javier Millet, known as El Loco, the madman, was sworn in as Argentina's president. Can he follow through on his promises to slash government and tame inflation? And do Argentinians have the patience to see if it's the right idea? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. In 1969, a plan to show support for an anti-racism protest turned the lives of 14 promising black student-athletes upside down. Amazing Sports Stories from the BBC World Service tells their story. Search for Amazing Sports Stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Thanks for choosing to listen to Assignment on the documentary podcast from the BBC World Service. In this episode... I'm reporting from Istanbul, a sprawling metropolis where scientists predict a major earthquake could strike any day now. The city's mayor warns there are over 200,000 risky buildings. But as we find out, replacing or strengthening them is complicated and people and politics often stand in the way. We're walking down a dirt track. It's beautiful and green here. We're right in the middle of some woods. And either side of me are mobile homes, one story made of wood with small picket fences around them. Oh, hello. There's a little cat. Oh, it's so cosy in here. And the kitchen is beautiful. How does it make you feel living here? I think we are healing here faster after the earthquake. While I'm asleep, I know something won't fall on my head. Even if I die tonight, I won't die because I'm stuck under a building. That thought makes me feel good. It's really simple, actually, but it makes me feel better. Welcome to the documentary from the BBC World Service. I'm Emily Wither, and for assignment, I'm in Turkey, where another natural disaster is predicted, this time in Istanbul. It's been a year since powerful earthquakes hit the southeast of the country on the 6th of February. More than 53,000 people lost their lives and millions were displaced when many homes, hospitals and hotels turned into graves, blamed on flawed construction work. Fear is now rising for Europe's largest city, where experts say a major earthquake could strike any day. And there is a bedroom... Again, small and... This is Borju Borkaniit. A year ago, she survived that terrifying night. The stylish 25-year-old is showing me around her so-called tiny house on the outskirts of Istanbul, 
a compact three-room miniature home. It's lovely and warm. There is though. not there. It's a big problem because so cold. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's minimalist but very cozy with a fire in the corner. And I'm told, thanks to its steel reinforcement, very resistant in an earthquake. You could also be outside it within a few seconds. After last year's earthquake, Borju moved here with her husband. They're both lawyers, along with their cat, who is by her side. Munir. He's called Munir. He has been with me since university. I graduated, got a profession, got married, and he's still with me. He's like my son. Since the earthquakes last year, demand for these tiny houses has risen tenfold. The saying goes, "It's not earthquakes that kill people; buildings do." In the southeast, more than 160,000 buildings collapsed as people slept. Borju, originally from Hatay, one of the worst-hit places, just happened to be visiting relatives. It was a great night because Hatay had a football game. A player named Atsu scored a goal at the last minute, near minute 90, and we were so happy. The game was nice. We had tea and slept. I woke up around 4.15 because I could hear this rumbling, a deep rumbling. First, there was shaking. As the strength of the tremor increased, we were shaking, and, and then it was as if the ground was jumping. I thought, the world must be collapsing because it's an earthquake like this. What is this jumping? It was so scary. I can't forget it. I lost many people I loved. All I hoped for them was that they didn't understand what was happening and it didn't take long for their buildings to collapse. When Borju returned to Istanbul, she saw the city through different eyes and she worried about the safety of her home, an apartment in an upmarket neighbourhood. Did you ask to have your home checked for earthquake safety? I wanted to ask my estate agent the minute the quake happened and they told me, if this place collapses, there will be nothing left of Istanbul. But that was not a good enough answer for me, especially for someone who experienced the earthquake. And considering the buildings are at least 30 years old, this answer made me feel I was being ridiculed. Over the last year, tens of thousands of Istanbulites have applied to have their homes checked for earthquake resistance. This can be done by the municipality or government-approved companies. If the building is found to be risky, it can be rebuilt or strengthened. If it fails the test, it should, in theory, be demolished. But many choose not to have a test or go to private companies where you don't have to report or act on the findings. Borju found out later her building failed the test. We got a call from our neighbor who is a homeowner. A is the best and E is the worst in the safety report. The result for our building was D, rotten. I couldn't stay a second longer in the building. What happened next? Is the building going to be strengthened or knocked down? People really didn't take it seriously. No one did anything. Borju had seen her friends and neighbours trapped under mountains of rubble in her hometown of Hatay. She knew she needed to move out. One week later it was rented out again and it's funny. It was rented for three times the price we were paying. 
there are signs all around me of the dangers facing Istanbul if there was to be an earthquake. On one side of me, there's a bulldozer sifting through piles of rubble after a building was recently knocked down because it was considered unsafe. Across the road, there's a building that has been evacuated. And at the end of the road, there's a sign letting residents know that the apartment block needs to be strengthened to make it safer. New building safety codes were announced after 1999 when an earthquake hit a city outside Istanbul, killing over 17,000 people. Since then, so-called urban renewal has been slowly underway here. Yet Istanbul is still packed with old buildings, constructed before the guidelines were introduced. Adding to the problem, governments over decades have declared controversial construction amnesties, which signed off on thousands of unsafe, unregulated buildings across the country. The last one was in 2018, and in Istanbul, there were nearly half a million applicants. Critics say these amnesties added to the high death toll in last year's earthquakes, while Turkey's president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, pointed the finger at corrupt property developers. Zeynep, do you think much about there being an earthquake in Istanbul? I think about it all the time. I live in Istanbul, and so does my producer, Zeynep Bilgensoy, who grew up here. I think about it every night before I go to bed. As I lie in bed, I think, OK, am I safe? What if an earthquake strikes tonight? What do I do? I've always had an earthquake bag ready, but now I have three bags ready just in case. Yeah, I mean, I can't leave the house now without having a whistle with a compass in my handbag. And if I've left it at home, I feel incredibly anxious. I want to go home and, and get it. It's very much on my mind too. And I know just from speaking to other people living here, it comes up in conversation all the time now. Istanbul is a sprawling metropolis, officially home to 16 million people unofficially millions more. And you can feel it. Behind the famous postcard skyline of minarets and palaces, it's a clogged, chaotic city built on steep hills connected by narrow streets. There's no better person to ask about the risks here than the expert who grimly predicted a major earthquake in the southeast three days before it happened. Since that day, I have dedicated my life to informing people and raising awareness. I don't do anything else. I constantly talk about the reality of an earthquake. Geologist Dr. Naji Guru became a household name overnight. He says wherever he goes now, he's treated like Tarkan, comparing himself to the country's most famous pop star. He's constantly fielding a barrage of questions from worried Turks. What's the percentage that we're talking about here? How close are we to there being a major earthquake in Istanbul? It's not possible to say anything about timing. Scientists say the probability of an earthquake happening at any time in the Marmara region with a magnitude of 7 or above is 47% from now. That's really high. If you were to flip a coin, that would be 50%. So we don't have a lot of time. There are a lot of cities in seismologically active areas in the world. What makes Istanbul so particularly vulnerable? Istanbul is a city established on the border of tectonic plates, the northern Anatolian fault line which passes through the Marmara Sea. 
This was established 13 million years ago. So if you come and build a city on the border of tectonic plates, that means Istanbul will forever, for millions of years, experience these earthquakes. Is this city prepared for a major earthquake? Politicians haven't prepared Istanbul in a serious, planned way with a big mobilization effort. You can overcome this problem if you build earthquake-resistant cities. Look at Japan. A 7.6 earthquake happened there, same as the quakes in the southeast. If it happened here, tens of thousands would die, but there only 100 to 200 people died and life went on. We've just arrived at a block of apartments on the Asian side of the city. It's a seven-storey building on a quiet residential street and there's a team here from Istanbul's municipality who are going to carry out a rapid assessment test which will check to see how they think the building could withstand an earthquake. We can see the concrete surface right here. Uh, the concrete surface, after we break it, we need to uh, use a, a kind of a sandpaper to make it straight. And after we make it straight, it's okay, it's finally ready to be uh, measured with the concrete hammer. This is Mustafa Gench, a civil engineer with the Istanbul municipality. He's showing me how they check the strength of the concrete in these buildings. We go from floor to floor as he tests the quality of the walls and also looks for rebars. That's steel bars which are used to reinforce concrete. We're going to remove the plaster of five columns. What sort of things have you found in concrete while doing these checks? Sometimes we remove the plaster and we can see that the concrete is it has gaps in it, it has holes in it. Uh, we've come across uh, sand and seashells a lot in the old structures, like the buildings made mostly before the tw- 2000s, before the Izmit earthquake. We've seen that people weren't abiding by code that much. How dangerous is it if someone's got sand or shells in their walls? If they have shells, it means that sea sand was used in the concrete mix. If sea sand was used, that means there's salt inside of it. If there's salt, that means it's going to rot away the rebar that's been used in the building. Ironically, Mustafa tells us his own landlord doesn't want the building checked where he lives, so won't approve a test. That's not uncommon, as we learned from Pinar Chalishkan. She's on site too, a civil engineer and the director of the Istanbul Urban Works Directorate. Have you seen a huge increase in people wanting to get their buildings checked since the February 6th earthquakes? Yes, there was of course a big increase in demand. After the earthquake, we got about 157,000 applications. We visited about 110,000 of these. The building that we've just seen tested is given a rating of C, medium risk, so the residents should get it strengthened, but it doesn't need to be knocked down. Have you found that some people just don't want to know about their building because they know that it would be very hard for them to move? Yes, we see that a lot. In fact, there are even disagreements among neighbours. One will want the assessment and the other won't. Or won't let us go on to the critical floors, then we can't do the test and we have to leave. And this is a very high rate. Out of 110,000 buildings we visited, we could only inspect 35,000. And why do you think that is? 
People are anxious, maybe for financial reasons or something. What if it's risky? How will we move? Where are we going to go? Some want to get the building checked because they are scared, but then the other person doesn't want to because they are worried it would lead to problems. So there can be many factors. The reality for many homeowners is they can't afford to rent while their properties are rebuilt. Inflation here is at 65%, but in real terms it's even higher. Financial help is offered for rebuilding and for rent, but many have told us it's not enough to cover the costs of construction or soaring rental prices. Pinar says politics gets in the way too. Istanbul has been run by the main opposition party since 2019. There are many obstacles. Among the top are construction costs and inadequate plans for transformation and low-rent aid. And also because the ministry and municipalities are unable to work in cooperation. The two frontrunners in Istanbul's mayoral election in March have placed earthquake preparedness at the centre of their campaigns. Istanbul's opposition mayor, Ekrem Imamoglu, warns the city has over 200,000 risky buildings, housing over 3 million people. He complains the central government won't meet him to discuss or approve plans. Imamoglu will face President Erdogan's candidate, Murat Kurum, the former environment minister. In campaign videos, he promises Istanbulites will live in more resistant buildings, pledging to build 650,000 new homes in five years, and saying he won't stop until there isn't a risky building left in Istanbul. But urban renewal is not without its critics. The entrance to the apartment complex is now covered in signs and there's a big advert here selling the benefits of urban renewal, promising people that they will live in a modern, safe place. But it's next to a bunch of protest signs. This one here says, how can you evict people in the winter? We've come to an apartment complex that's up for demolition, but some residents are staging a protest. Every night for weeks, a group has lit a fire outside, gathering on white plastic chairs with a steady flow of tea, even as more and more of their neighbours choose to pack up. A recent amendment to the law now allows the government to designate any area in the city a reserve area under the guise of earthquake safety. It means the buildings can be knocked down and replaced. But here, the owners and the residents are in dispute about whether the buildings are actually safe or not. The two sides are now fighting it out in the courts. Nihal and Ege don't want to move out. Producer Zeynep translates for them. Ege says they're very anxious because they could be kicked out of this place uh, any minute and they don't understand how, when there are so many unsafe buildings across Istanbul, they've chosen this one safe location for urban renewal. And how has the situation left you feeling? Nihal says they're very anxious because any day their electricity and water could be cut off and they don't have a B plan. What would they do if they leave this place? We're told the owners of the land want to turn the compound into luxury housing and add extra floors. 
The homeowners will be offered a new apartment, but these women are renters and fear they won't be able to afford to live in the new flats. And, you know, they're retired and the pensions have not gone up in the same way. Uh, and Nihal also added that if this area is declared a reserve space area, it could be declared anywhere in Istanbul. So this is the start of it, of how people would lose their homes. Could you afford to move if you had to? Nihal says she can afford 15,000 liras for rent every month, but that means moving to a place that's definitely not earthquake safe. So she would be moving from a place that's safe to an unsafe building that would collapse at the first earthquake because that's within our budget. This is the documentary from the BBC World Service. Who were the Black 14? 14 football players who were at the University of Wyoming in 1969. 14 student athletes who paid a heavy price for planning a show of support against racism. It hit the campus like wildfire. Some of them was getting death threats. Amazing sports stories from the BBC World Service tells their story. It was a complete surprise that he kicked us off the team. What are we going to do with our lives? How are we going to get our degrees? Search for amazing sports stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts. In a world where change is constant, it pays to look beyond your borders. The Financial Times offers a global perspective to give you a deeper understanding of international markets and emerging trends. Broaden your horizons and widen your influence. Fearlessly Pink. The Financial Times. Read more at ft.com slash fearless. I'm Gabriel Gatehouse from the Global Story podcast. It's two months since Javier Millet, known as El Loco, the madman, was sworn in as Argentina's president. Can he follow through on his promises to slash government and tame inflation? And do Argentinians have the patience to see if it's the right idea? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Emily Wither on assignment in Istanbul. So which ferry do you think we can get? So we will take the 11.15 ferry. We went to meet urban researcher and social scientist Morat Gunay as he boarded one of the hundreds of public ferries that cross the Bosphorus Strait every day, connecting the European and Asian sides of the city. From the ferry, you see the best part of the Istanbul, like the most beautiful. But Istanbul, in the last like 20, 30 years, enlarged so much. There are suburbs that I have never seen. His work focuses on housing inequality and earthquake resilience. After 1999, we were well aware that there will be a major earthquake in or around Istanbul soon. But that earthquake danger was instead exploited by the government to expropriate more land and to open Istanbul for more construction instead of making Istanbul more resilient to earthquake. If you are 
aware that Darbiban earthquake, you won't invite more populations to Istanbul, right? But Istanbul's population was almost doubled after 1999 earthquake. We have more buildings, we have <laughs> less green space and shelter space. And the government signed off on a lot of unsafe buildings, didn't they? Can you tell me about government amnesties? So before every election, in order to get the votes of the people who are living in squatter housings and shanty towns, governments announce amnesties for uh, people whose houses are not constructed according to uh, rules and regulations. Basically, these were buildings that has no title deeds. So the government says, that, OK, give me your vote and I give you your title deed. For that time, okay, you get the vote of the people and make them happy. But on the other hand, you leave all those people in danger of the earthquake. Morat says the new laws have led to urban renewal being concentrated in the more desirable parts of Istanbul, where developers can make higher profits. This law was used in areas which has a good view of the Bosporus, where the land is expansive. The areas are prioritized according to their <laughs> land value, unfortunately. The historical Istanbul has, of course, the oldest housing stock. So almost all buildings there were constructed before 1999 earthquake. And it's a very crowded area. And there was no urban improvement project that was implemented there. He adds that poorer areas of the city are often overlooked and don't have the money to even start the process of making their homes safe. Morat believes there should be more help here from the government. Neighbourhoods such as like Zeytinburnu, Bahçeli, Evler, Avcılar, Küçükçekbeca, these are neighbourhoods that are on the European side of Istanbul, that are on the Marmara Seashore, these are the most dangerous areas. These areas should be prioritised and these are areas where mostly uh, poor segments of the society live. So these are people who cannot afford these urban transformation projects by themselves. The Turkish government believes rebuilding Istanbul is the only way to make the city safe. And since last year's earthquakes, President Erdogan has launched the Transformation of the Century project, a renewed pledge to rebuild risky structures and new, safer homes. But the attitudes towards earthquake resilience and safety can be dismissive. My producer, Zeynep, and I wanted to find out if we could rent an apartment that had been checked for earthquake resistance and had a safety report. We rang 22 estate agents between us. Zeynep, so how did your calls go? Uh, I spoke to 17 real estate agents and they had multiple listings. From all those properties, only four had reports. Wow, so not that many. No, not at all. Well, some of them are new buildings. So the real estate agents say it's a new building. You don't really need a report. The older buildings, one of them had uh, a report from 12 years ago, but an earthquake expert lives there. So she assured me of its safety. Another guy I spoke to said he lives there. So that should make it safe. Yeah, I mean, I had exactly the same thing. One estate agent said to me, of course, I don't have earthquake safety certificates. Um, he had 25 properties and none of them had um, been checked for safety. 
But I had a similar thing where another estate agent told me not to worry if the properties were new, because of course they would be safe if they were built recently, because they followed building codes. But as we saw in the south of the country, it was sometimes the new properties that collapsed first. Yeah, in the earthquake, we found out that some of the new buildings were not up to uh, building codes. And uh, there was one uh, building that's a very famous luxury residential building, and it was built in the last decade, and hundreds of people died in there. And another estate agent that I called, she said to me, this is a very sensitive subject when I asked her about it, because she said that owners didn't want to get their buildings checked, because if the tests failed, then people would have to move out within three months. Having an earthquake safety report done on your property isn't mandatory, but given the catastrophic death toll in the earthquakes a year ago and the constant threat of it happening in Istanbul, I found the results of our calls surprising. Okay, I'm going to have one of these hot chestnuts. Back at the tiny house on the outskirts of Istanbul, Borju serves us tea and roasted chestnuts. I wanted to find out if her neighbours had decided to remain in a home they knew wasn't safe. My next-door neighbour is a homeowner and I was speaking to her, telling her I love her and asking her not to stay. She said, where should we go? What should we do? Some say, I'm of a certain age. If I'm going to die, I will die here. And others say, there is not going to be an earthquake. Don't get tense for no reason. And that's despite all the devastation that we have seen. Only one of her neighbours decided to leave the risky apartment block. Perhaps it's no coincidence. They're also from Hatay in the southeast, which now lies in ruins. Thank God we found out about this before an earthquake hit or before being stuck under the rubble and thinking it collapsed. And I still think about that dismissive sentence from my estate agent. If this building collapses, all of Istanbul will collapse. I fear that means everything is going to collapse. And it's that shrug-your-shoulders sentiment that has people in this city worrying not only for themselves, but for those who are in denial about the threat. Assignment was presented by me, Emily Wither. The producers were Caroline Bailey and Zeynep Bilgensoy, and the editor was Penny Murphy. The programme was mixed by Sarah Hockley. In a world that doesn't pause, catching up isn't enough. The Financial Times keeps you one step ahead in your life and career. With breaking news, detailed analysis, and a deep understanding of the global economy. Don't just keep pace, set the pace. Fearlessly Pink. The Financial Times. Read more at ft.com slash fearless. I'm Gabriel Gatehouse from the Global Story podcast. It's two months since Javier Millet, known as El Loco, the madman, was sworn in as Argentina's president. Can he follow through on his promises to slash government and tame inflation? And do Argentinians have the patience to see if it's the right idea? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us 
wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>